If you are someone who will prioritize the relationship over yourself and over anything else, which I have absolutely been that person, queen, queen change a dick, you don't go on your daily walk. You don't go to the gym. You don't go to the grocery store to pick up the food that you want to, to make a healthy meal. Those things add up very fast. And they become self-sabotaging behaviors. A healthy, secure person is not going to ultimately want someone who is not choosing themselves first. And in order of priority, it has to go me first, my sense of purpose second, my partner third. I'm Emily Goff, a human connection coach, writer, and speaker with an insatiable sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using the power of stories to teach, learn, and grow. We boldly explore relationships, connection, and the nuances and complexities of the human experience with compassion, honesty, and a sense of humor. With both solo episodes and highly curated guests sharing incredible stories, experiences, and expertise, the Room to Grow podcast takes the entire idea of growth to the next level, all while covering the uncomfortable topics many of us would like to avoid. There's always more room to grow. Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here. And today's episode is another special one with my partner, Kelly. Uh, so he and I are going to have kind of an ongoing series talking about different relationship issues and all these things. Kelly is also an incredible uh, relationship coach. Um, he also specializes in men's work. He's just fantastic at what he does. So all of his information is listed in the show notes if you want to connect with him. Um, and this this episode was a lot of fun to record. <laughs> We're talking about uh, Captain C, sort of the the archetype of Captain Savaho versus uh, Queen Change Dick, and we are being very intentionally tongue in cheek around this. Okay, so there's no need to get offended or send me angry DMs about this. Uh, we're just having fun with it, <laughs> and I think that once you hear our definitions and descriptions of these archetypes, you might potentially see pieces of yourself in it. Um, and that's kind of the whole point is to just kind of make it fun so that we can bring more self-awareness to all of ourselves around uh, what patterns we are acting out in relationship and what we can maybe do a little bit differently. Um, so the other thing is just to note here, I had a really bad cold when we were recording this. So if you hear my, my voice sounding a little bit off or my throat sounding weird, that's why uh, you'll probably be able to tell how nasally I was <laughs> while doing this. I was super conscious of it the whole time. So if my voice sounds off a little bit, that's why. Anyway, enjoy this episode. Can't wait to hear what you think. Uh, and additionally, Kelly and I are also starting to work with couples. We have already started taking couples on um, to do work, like very close, intimate work with them. And the results have been mind-blowing. Um, I am just, I'm absolutely blown away at how incredible it is to see these couples connecting with each other in whole new ways, um, undoing years worth of patterns and coming up with like, like their, their love life is improving. Their sex life is improving. It's, it's powerful. This is powerful work. It's beyond what I even expected. So if you are interested in that, um, we are very limited as to the number of spaces that we can take on for this because it's really deep involved work. Um, so let me know. There's information in the show notes. Uh, we can set up a call with you to make sure that we would all be a good fit for each other. Super excited to share this. Take a look at the show notes. Send me a DM. You can send Kelly a DM as well. All of our information is listed there and we are excited to dive in. So today we have uh, come up with a couple um, 
archetypes, shall we say, you know how I feel about that word, but we're going to call it that for now. Uh, Captain save a and Queen Change-A-Dick. Mm. We're going to dive into this. <laughs> What's your problem with archetypes? Uh, really? We're going to get into this now? <laughs> I think that people can over-identify with them, as I tend to feel about a lot of labels. So mm. I shy away from those types of classifications, but I also recognize where they can be helpful and useful to give people a basis to identify with something that then can help them identify something within themselves and respond accordingly. Beautiful. Yeah. They make for good stories. And they I like sure to tell do. good stories, right? And the <laughs> more I can connect to these stories, <laughs> the easier it is for me to understand. Yes. Uh, and I really, uh, uh, I celebrate that notion, how often it's easy to get uh, connected with that story mm -hmm. and then continue to play that story out because I identify with that person. Mm -hmm. um, and that self-identification creates a limiting uh, experience. Yeah. And so on to Captain Sabaho <laughs> and Queen Change-A-Dick. I love this. This is really exciting. The first time you came up with Captain Sabaho, I almost died laughing. And then we told it to one of our friends. Uh, we, we actually referred to one of our, our mutual friends more or less as that. And uh, I could tell it landed by his reaction. And he also thought that was quite comical. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> I know a lot of men that identify with this this notion. Now, where it has been traditionally used, this Captain Save-A-Ho, um, I want to be really clear that, you know, I personally identify with this. Mm -hmm. um, however, I would not refer to any of my previous partners as hoes. No, <laughs> we need That's to not, clarify yeah, that right absolutely. up front. Yes. I want to really be super clear about that. <laughs> it's it's overemphasizing mm -hmm. what's really taking place. And, you know, there's a there's a popular culture reference in this. There's, a, I think, a song from back in the day that, that used this lyric. But the the idea of, of save a hoe is really... Um, the idea of I need to save a person that I consider to be broken. Mm -hmm. And particularly for men, um, you know, we often will find that person that we consider to be broken also to simultaneously be a trophy. Um, and that's where that, that notion of a hoe, the, the attractive woman, which is the, um, the story of the man that wants to have this woman that is attractive and therefore reflects back positively on himself mm -hmm. and his way of endearing himself into her life is through the savior, right? And the, and the way that I go about doing that is most often, I think many, many men will, uh, will resonate with this, particularly the men who feel themselves as givers, as people who see into other people, who are able to kind of identify with the problems that you're facing. And so the Captain Save a Hope typically comes up to a woman and early on in the relationship starts going, getting you to reveal all of your secrets, all of your biggest hurts, all of your pain, all of your problems. Making you feel seen so deeply. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he has learned that ability to make you feel seen because of his past experiences. Mm -hmm. right? this, this man typically grew up in a household where his value was determined on his ability to see people and to be helpful. 
possibly because you know he had parents that were broken that needed help mm -hmm. or perhaps he had very demanding parents or relationships early on where he learned to navigate all of these struggles and challenges of life and say oh if i can figure out how to give you what you want before you even ask for it then i will be desired i'll be wanted and i'll be safe and in that space, I, I have created a dynamic that has kept me safe my entire life right? by saving this person. And, and it ends up being played out most frequently in my romantic relationships, in my closest relationships, because Captain Sabahoe doesn't have a lot of close relationships. Captain Sabahoe typically um, is a, a loner because he doesn't trust people grown up in a, a space where he really doesn't trust people overall. And a lot of times that really doubles, doubles down on his male relationships. Yes. The men in his life don't, uh, don't hold up the standard that he's looking for. And so typically he turns towards women and he finds himself to be very endearing to women because he can identify with mm -hmm. them. He can see all of their little problems and, and they feel so seen and so heard. Right. And they feel so emotionally safe with him that they're, you know, he is the one that they continuously go to over and over again. I've seen this play out so many times with men who have an enormous number of female friendships and very few men in their life. And the women feel super safe with them. But sometimes the other thing that I will find is that it, they end up getting sort of friend zoned mm -hmm. occasionally or the relationships that they do get into romantically end up falling apart because of this dynamic, this, this undercurrent yeah. that continues to play out. Yeah, because underneath it, Captain Sabahoe, and this is where I really identified with this and what I have learned through my past relationships and how I, I strive to show up more present, is that underneath, there's a real fear that I'm not enough mm -hmm. and that I'll be abandoned and I'll be left. Mm -hmm. And so as long as I can create this power structure whereby you need me, I am the only person that sees you and I'm the only person that gives you what you need. Therefore, you need me. And I've created a space in your life where not only are you reflecting back the power that I don't see in myself by really seeing all of the things that I'm able to do and disarming all of my un underlying beliefs that I'm not good enough, that there's no place for me out there in the world or that people don't really accept me. I create this power structure where you need me. And if you need me, you can't leave me. Mm -hmm. And then after the relationship starts to progress, I start using that chip of power over you. I start manipulating you. I, I constantly create this current of a relational dynamic where I have a little bit more power than you do, mm -hmm. and you always owe me. And because you always owe me, I can then seek to be a tyrant, an asshole. I can show up and be, and be pissed off, and it gives me all these great reasons for cutting you down, for because you don't get me. You don't see me. And the, you know, I say the battle cry of Captain Sabaho is, why do I have to tell you what I need? <laughs> I always give you what you need. Right. So why should I have to tell you what I need? Mm -hmm. Sound familiar, guys? <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I have learned 
how to give you exactly what you need without asking because that's my that's my survival mechanism. Yeah. And I think that that makes me better than everybody else because I'm able to do that. But really what I'm doing is I'm getting away from being able to ask. I don't ask. I don't ask for my needs. I don't ask for what I want because if I were to ask, then we would have a more even power dynamic. Mm -hmm. So I always stay a little bit above and a little bit because... I never have to ask for anything because I don't really want anything. And where does that, for someone in that position, where does that leave you in terms of emotional intimacy? Well, there is none. I mean, yeah. there is, there's no space for my, my intimacy. It's, it's a facade of intimacy, mm -hmm. right? My facade of intimacy is that I can give you what you need sexually, emotionally, physically, um, with, objects. I can show up and give you exactly what it is you're looking for without you ever having to ask for it. Right. And therefore I don't actually have to be needy. Hmm. I don't need anything from you. Which also puts you in a position of power. Exactly. Because then the other person might actually, even if, if they don't identify as a needy human, they still end up feeling needy in the dynamic and that doesn't feel good either. No one enjoys feeling needy. Yeah. Like it, it's a, it's something that can play out, but I don't know anyone who identifies with actually enjoying that sensation. And then in, in terms of queen change dick, a lot of women, and I have been here again myself, similar to you uh, being captain save a hoe in, in past dynamics, is the idea that we can see the boy underneath the, the facade of the man. We can see into them. You know, I, I can I can see the heart of gold beneath the veneer that he shows to the outside world. I understand him in a way that no one else does. I I can see where he's headed. I see the potential that I can help him grow into and expand into. And you know, my love will will save him. My love will help him. Um, I will be so indispensable to him. I will be his rock solid support system. He will never leave me because. I am the, you know, the entire foundation that his sense of self is built upon. I'm his rock. Mm -hmm. That, that is something that plays out time and time again. And of course, it stems from wounding, usually around abandonment, rejection. Um, for me, it certainly was. And putting myself in a position of making someone else feel the way that I wanted to feel protected and cared for and having someone show up for me. And if I made them feel that way, then they would reciprocate, right? And then they also wouldn't leave me. So I would get what I was looking for. I never got what I was looking for in those dynamics. I would get temporary quick hits of it, yeah. but overall I would still end up feeling unseen because a similar, this is like a direct reflection of the captain, Captain Savaho, is that I'm not asking for my needs. I am making sure that, you know, the other person feels cared for, putting my needs to one side, people pleasing, um, being super nice, smoothing everything over because I don't want to rock the boat and, and to upset the dynamic or to make him feel somehow less than I have him on a bit of a pedestal. And that is putting me in a lower position of power automatically. But when I actually recognize and feel that playing out, I don't like it. Hmm. But at the same time, I don't know how to, you know, in those, in those scenarios, I don't know how to ask 
to shift things because mm -hmm. the, the foundation has already been built in a lot of ways. So it can feel overwhelming to shift that dynamic. It's interesting because I think that, you know, the, the queen um, has a lot of power mm. in that dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to hear more about how you actually get power in that dynamic and what does it give you in doing so? I think that the, that the way that I, I would get power in those dynamics, and I, there's one relationship I'm thinking of in the past in particular where it's, it's from controlling everything. That sense of control is at the crux of making me feel safe. If I control the household, if I control the money, if I control the travel, if I control, you know, all taking care of all the little details, not only will he kind of owe me, so I'm putting myself in the position of power as well, but I feel safer. But that safety is an illusion. It's not real because the other person is then s sensing that and then they're going to need to feel some sense of their own autonomy and uh, sense of self, they may seek it outside the relationship. And that's what I experienced in a past relationship where he went elsewhere because I was controlling everything. I was making sure that everything was according to plan and there were a whole lot of other plans happening on the other side that I didn't know about because he couldn't feel free in our dynamic. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I think that that the queen uh, probably thinks uh, along the line, it, one of the complaints of the queen is that her man doesn't make her feel safe. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, as the queen, will hold it down because that's what queens do. You know, we show up for our kingdoms. We will, we will take care of it then, fine. Mm -hmm. I will make sure that everyone is safe, mm -hmm. but who's protecting me? Mm -hmm. And have I created the space for anybody to be able to Absolutely protect not. Yeah. I'm pissed off that no one's protecting me, but there's no room for them to protect me. That is amazing, right? It's like, <laughs> I'm so mad that you're not doing the thing that I've given you no ability to be able to do whatsoever. Yeah. Right? yeah. We, have, we have, you know, cut them down and taken away their, their sword to protect us with, but then we're angry that they can't protect us. Mm -hmm. There is no room for it. And we don't even want to identify with that anger because then that would make us feel less queen-like. Mm. That's, or we're worried that it would overtake us or that it would upset the, the, the man in the relationship. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, what's, what's really interesting, and we've talked about this, you know, because we both self-identify as givers, mm -hmm. at times over givers. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very rare that you end up with two givers in a relationship. It is. Uh, and I think it's really interesting as I've Del dive deeper into what that is, and, and particularly the overgiving aspect, mm -hmm. um, is again, it's a way of holding power and creating control in the dynamic of the relationship. Um, and it works really well early in relationships. Absolutely. Right? Like this is a great strategy for finding the, the, my opposite, my, my match, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm, if I'm uh, someone who is somewhat anxiously attached, I, I withdraw, right? Then I, I find that person that just wants, it's needy, that wants like, something. Ooh, it I just wants so to, special. yeah, it wants to be. And so there I get mm -hmm. to, I get to feed into them. But then when they come towards me, I get to have a perfectly good reason why I need to turn away and yep. run away. But in the beginning of the relationship, it feels so good to be seen. And then over time, as that power dynamic continues, then ultimately that is the center of what erodes 
the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really interesting between the two of us who kind of identify both in this way of kind of overgiving. Um, one is who the hell, who's going to receive? That has been our biggest struggle initially. <laughs> and we've come a long way, actually. Yeah. We, we really have come a long way. But we had to have, and we sometimes still continue to have to have conversations about the other's ability to receive. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm and I think that there also needed to be a lot of trust established that receiving from the other person would not mean that they were holding something over us, mm -hmm. that that was not going to come back to bite us in the ass later. Mm -hmm. Like if I allow you to give to me, are you going to, in some subtle way, mm -hmm. use this to manipulate me and hold it over my head later? And, and there had to be some trust that got built up over time. Like nothing could really shift that other than time mm -hmm. for us to start to trust that, oh, this actually is not a transactional relationship. Mm -hmm. You and I have, were very clear on that from the very beginning. We were like, this is the relationship that breaks patterns for us, mm -hmm. like past patterns for both of us. This is where we heal a lot of the shit that we have created in other relationships, like both been dealt and, and cr created, co-created mm -hmm. in past relationships. And we did not want to have a relationship that was transactional in any way. Mm -hmm. We're like, I give to you, therefore you give to me, or I give to you, therefore I hold power over you. Mm -hmm. And it's been really fascinating to explore this dynamic and has, how it has continued to shift and evolve over time and as more trust has, has grown. Yeah, one of the learning things that has shown up for me and also for a lot of my clients recently is how often I am giving without a clarity of what it is that I want in return, mm. right? So this is kind of that transactional, like I say I don't really want anything, right? Because if I were to say I wanted something, then I would be needy and then it would be transactional. But the truth of the matter is, is I really do want something. There are, there are things that I am actually looking for um, in, in this relationship. And of course, I want to give just for the sake of giving. But not always. Yeah. Like my truth is not always that I'm just, I'm, I'm looking for some reciprocity. And that's human, that's by the human. way. And reciprocity should be present in a relationship. And, and to that point, you know, even something as simple as, I want people to really think about this, even something as simple as me telling you that I love you, mm -hmm. am I looking for something in that? Mm. Sometimes I'm looking for you to say it back to me as opposed to just, Perhaps having a moment, a vulnerable moment mm -hmm. of feeling like I need a little bit of re a little bit of reassurance mm -hmm. and going, babe, you know, can you can you tell me the reasons you love me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that feels super vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But I am very conscious of that. That when I say that to you, and I do love you mm -hmm. very genuinely, but sometimes are there moments where I actually need to hear it more than I want to share it? Mm. Mm -hmm. the, these are the subtle little nuances that we need to explore because that can pop up in the tiniest little ways that will grow over time and can erode the basis of the, like the, the foundation of the relationship and the trust that's mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And I think that that willingness to ask is such, as you said, a vulnerable place. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a really scary place, yeah. I think, for a lot of men in particular who have felt abandoned. Um, and if I'm to put out my heart on the table, it's so, there's so much uh, at risk here. Mm -hmm. um, and we model for each other how to, how to deepen into that. But I think there's something here that comes up for me as well, which is, you know, if I make a request 
and you're not available for that request. Mm. It really wasn't a request in the first place. It was a demand. It was demand, mm -hmm. right? And so learning how to acknowledge what it is that I'm wanting and be okay with not getting it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really, that's, that is a depth of, of building a sense of self that is able to both source my sense of self from within, as well as create and, and heighten that sense of self in relationship to other people. That's a very difficult balance to walk. You know, there's this idea I think a lot of people have of, you know, I can't find relationship until I'm whole and complete, mm. right? But there's also another notion that I'm not really going to be whole and complete unless I'm in relationship. Right. So when am I good enough to really lean all the way in to relationship? When have I healed enough of my own trauma, my own patterning to be able to step into relationship? You know, when am I going to be, when am I going to be good enough for the relationship that I'm calling in? What are your thoughts? The idea that's coming to me is this idea of waiting mm. and waiting to be chosen. Mm. And <laughs> This can play out in any number of different ways. And you and I just went to a couple back-to-back uh, -back weekend workshops. And I went into it, I, I always go into these types of things, uh, personal development workshop. I always go into these things without expectations because expectations can kind of ruin an experience. It can sort of derail an experience in a lot of ways. So I went into it without an expectation. But I do think that there was a subtle undertone of from what I have been told about the events, you know, most people would have like these massive, like life shattering breakthroughs at the events. So I'm like, okay, here we go. Like I am ready, break me open. I am ready to just like, you know, cry my eyes out, have some like life, life altering experience here um, that will solve all of my problems and uh, everything will, will be good to go. Like I'm gonna walk out of here a different fucking human being. And <laughs> And no pressure, <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. And the first weekend, it was really fascinating because anyone who knows me knows me to be, you know, I can be quite emotional, like in terms of I can cry at the drop of a hat. And I was very stoic the first weekend. Like I was actually surprised. I kept sort of waiting to cry and there were no tears. And I'm like, oh, oh, the, what, what is this? <laughs> this is new. And I didn't have a massive breakthrough. And the second weekend was more intense. And I came up to you the second weekend and I was like, what, like, is someone going to come at me to sort of, you know, get under my skin, rip me apart? Like I'm waiting, what, where, where is the breakthrough here? And you had some, some thoughts on that. And, and part of it was that I also wasn't um, opening to allow it in, in some ways, but ultimately, the breakthrough, that, that massive earth shattering breakthrough never did come. But in the aftermath of, I was like, oh, the fact that I didn't have the breakthrough was breakthrough. It's, it's because I was waiting for the breakthrough. I was waiting, and I've seen this play out in other areas of my life, waiting to be chosen, waiting for the clients to choose me, waiting for the relationship to appear on my doorstep, waiting living my life waiting and not, not doing the things. And I identify as, as a doer, like I go out there and do the things and I do, 
But there are still aspects of me that I have seen where I've been waiting for something when I already have everything that I already need within me. I am the breakthrough. Mm. I am the breakthrough. I, and that was the breakthrough that I had from these, these two weekends. And it was the exact medicine I needed to go, okay, I'm done waiting. And I think that these elements of waiting to be chosen can show up in so many ways, particularly in relationship where we are, we're hoping that the other person will meet our needs. We are hoping that they will know what, what we want. We are hoping that they'll be able to meet us where we're at, no matter what state of healed we are in. And we're not necessarily going about taking the steps to work on ourselves, to live into our sense of purpose, to get excited about our own life. And when you do, that's typically when a lot of other things can start to fall into place. And if you're already in relationship, that's highly beneficial for the existing relationship as well. Like, you know, go if, if uh, going away for a weekend with girlfriends is something that um, scares you, because you are perhaps so anxiously attached that you don't want to leave your partner for the weekend, I would challenge you to do it. Like play the opposite game from what you usually do. Go do the thing. Your partner may want to jump your bones when you get back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a random example, but I, I just this idea of, of waiting mm. as opposed to living your life is, mm. is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think there obviously there's something in there about being chosen. And I want to dive into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want to dive into kind of the, what are the solutions uh, for Captain Savaho and Queen Queen That's Change what I wanted to bring up as well. Um, yeah. But you know what? I'm going to make them listen all the way to the end. <laughs> and, and we'll give you the answers on how you change that at the end. So let's go, let's, let's go on to... Um, chosen. To, to being chosen. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of being chosen, we have explored a lot. <laughs> we did talk about it a little bit in our, uh, our last episode, uh, episode 377, because it was one of the areas that was really foundational to our relationship and to me feeling safe enough to open to this relationship. So I would recommend that anyone go back and, and listen to that one as well, because we give a sort of additional background. But um, let's talk about what being chosen actually means and how it plays out because it's not just the words. Mm-hmm. It's the actions that go with the words and the energy behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the first things uh, that goes into being chosen is is to a certain degree an antidote to uh, Captain Save-A-Ho mm-hmm. and Queen Save-A-Dick or Change-A-Dick. I keep getting that wrong. <laughs> Queen Change-A-Dick. Queen yeah. Change-A-Dick <laughs> uh, is to choose myself first and foremost. Um, and... That becomes an antidote because, again, the whole challenge that that Captain Sabaho is is facing is really outsourcing that uh, acceptance from from other people. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the first things is really learning to to choose me, and that starts with compassion. You know, at looking at the areas of my life that I've been showing up ineffectively. And really diving underneath those and saying, oh, I see, you know, these are my ineffective patterns. It's the way I have gone about trying to get my needs met. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, underneath that, there's a, a hurt little boy or a hurt little girl who has created a way of being safe in a world that has presented itself as being unsafe. 
And so first I, I, I have compassion for the ways that I have gone about doing this. And in doing that, I say, you know what? I choose me. I accept me as I am. I'm not waiting for myself to change. I know that there's a lot of things that I'm going to work through and work around the edges, but I see who I have been and I see that little hurt child and I have deep compassion for that person and all that they have done to keep me safe. Um, and, I, and I accept me as broken and as flawed as I may be. This is who I am. This is the skin suit that I, I got in this lifetime. And this is the set of experiences that have brought me to this place. And this place typically in relationship and transition and in really stepping into the fullness of who I am is accepting that the things that got me to this place are the very same things that are holding me back from the next level of life that I say that I want. And so in order to step into that level, I just have to say, hey, this is me. Number one, I choose me. I choose to accept myself. And if you don't like me as, as I am, fuck you. Like quite honestly, this is the best that I've, this is the best that I've got right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm working towards becoming better. But if I can't accept myself where I am right now, then there is absolutely no opportunity for someone else to accept me because I am simultaneously pushing them away with my own sense of dissatisfaction with myself and projecting that on them in every way that I can. So while I'm saying come here, emotionally I'm also saying get the fuck away from me. I'm broken, I'm no good, mm -hmm. you don't want anything with me. And that is also a strategy of keeping me safe, right? Because anybody that, that's able to punch through that veneer, they must really care. They must be the one that really cares, right? And then that enters into the same cycle of creating that power dynamic. I'm so glad you you mentioned that example because that idea of you know if they if they wanted me enough they would keep trying mm -hmm. they they would work harder to break down my barriers and we we put that all on the other person and then wonder why no one can get through and the other aspect of of choosing choosing yourself first is that when we can choose ourselves it allows us to show up for the other person more fully more deeply and more authentically because even an example as simple as if, if you are someone who will prioritize the relationship over yourself and over anything else, which I have absolutely been that person, queen, queen change a dick. Um, even something as simple as perhaps let it, letting your, your healthy habits go to one side because you are putting all of your eggs into the relational basket. And if anything will take even a moment of time away from the potential of getting to spend some quality time with your partner, you don't go on your daily walk. You don't go to the gym. You don't go to the grocery store to pick up the food that you want to, to make a healthy meal. Those things add up very fast, mm -hmm. very quickly. And they become self-sabotaging behaviors. Exactly. And that is not attractive to the other person too. And the other person may not even be able to necessarily fully pinpoint exactly what the issue is. But if you aren't choosing yourself, the other person does not, is not ultimately going to want a healthy, secure person is not going to ultimately want someone who is not choosing themselves first. The, to me, the order of, of ranking of priority, and it took a long, long time to sink this in, is that in order of priority, it has to go me first, my sense of purpose second, my partner third. Mm -hmm. 
And that does not mean that there are not compromises and, and times where I put, uh, you know, I very much will put work aside to spend time with you. You and I are both very good at that. Like we are really, really good at that. But sense of purpose does not necessarily just mean work. Sense of purpose to me is showing up with love and with an open heart. So I get to practice out my sense of purpose, not only in the work that I actually get paid for, but I get to practice it with you and I get to practice it with me. I get to practice it by choosing myself. That is part of my sense of purpose and modeling that to other people. I also can't, as a teacher and as a coach, tell everyone else to choose themselves and not choose me. Because then I, I am, I'm, I'm living in hypocrisy and I can't authentically come from that place of telling others to do that if I'm not even embodying what I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. That always feels super out of integrity for me and I, I just can't, I can't function that way. Yeah, and I think it's the, it's really making the choice rather than making it out of obligation. Absolutely. And so there will be times where I am choosing to put something of my own aside mm -hmm. in order to focus on, you know, what might be the relational needs or what might be your needs at that particular time. But I'm also being really clear with myself about what I'm choosing to let go of and being okay with letting go of that, as opposed to saying, I have to be here for you because you aren't able to be there for yourself. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I have to sacrifice all of these other things, which for me, what this really shows up in is, I know I do really well in relationship. So I hide in relationship by doing all of the things for my partner that then sabotage the things that I say that I want to do in my purpose and in my career to give myself an, a convenient out on getting those things done and a convenient excuse for why they didn't get done because I was so much focused on this other person. Mm -hmm. They're by increasing the power dynamic, look at everything that I've given to you and sacrificed for me, woe is me, creating that same dynamic. So instead it's really being clear about, I'm choosing to put this, you know, if I'm choosing not to work out, I'm making a clear choice as opposed to sabotaging myself and then blaming you, right? So that's under, I can't really choose you because I've set you up to fail when I'm not choosing myself or very clearly, deliberately choosing what I, what I put my energy into and accepting the consequences of that rather than expecting something in return that I haven't asked for. Mm-hmm. And creating just an absolute hotbed of resentment to mm -hmm. flourish as well. Yeah. yeah. The next one would be um, leaky sexual energy. Oh, this is a good one. So this is such a good one. So in terms of making your partner feel chosen, you have to, and I don't mean you, like each one of us has to manage our sexual energy and where we are allowing that to come out in perhaps subtle ways, like, you know, really flirting with the, the cute barista or um, someone at work or something like that. And it, it can happen in very subtle moments mm -hmm. that can grow exponentially over time. And if you're not directing your sexual energy into the relationship, your partner will be able to feel it energetically. Yeah, They can sense it. Yeah. I had a, a client who was experiencing this recently and it's not so much in, you know, 
the the leaky sexual energy isn't always like the guy running around with his you know like energetically with his with his cock out being like who wants no, it you it know? doesn't have to be overt <laughs> which which you know that is you know when I when I am that guy mm -hmm. I'm basically signaling the signal that I have no discernment that whoever wants this can have this and then it really under uh, undercuts the value of the energy that I'm putting out there because I have no discernment so if I can't you know if I if I'm not choosy what's the value of me choosing you? Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, when I see this in, in my clients and, and guys that are really, um, you know, in that, in that Captain Sabahoke category, they're, they're wanting to be there for somebody else. They find that in how they, like I was saying, in the early part of relationship, it's really beautiful to figure you out mm. and to get to know you and to see that uh, that that glisten in your eyes when you feel seen and heard by someone who really appreciates you for the first time. And I go around doing that to female friends so that I can experience that, that longing, that desire, um, because I'm now in long-term relationship and it's not as easy to get it because I've created all of these other dynamics that make it much more, much more complicated. Right? So I'm going around to all of these new female friends or, you know, and I'm, I'm creating the emotional vulnerability, you know, I, I share with you about my relationships and my own challenges and I make you feel seen. And so I get to feel that desire. I get to feel that desire from somebody new and the newness of desire, which is so exciting, particularly to men, um, and that's a, another form of leaky energy where I'm reaching out energetically and asking you to pour into me. And while I may not be directly trying to um, seduce you, that friend, that female friend, I am certainly opening up her desire in a way that is going to be problematic sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as my relationship starts to get rocky, then, you know, there's that opening door. But now I also have this person that's pulling towards me. And as soon as my relationship, something is there, I'm like, oh, well, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's something better. You know, this person also has the grass is greener syndrome. Always. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I can, I can, you know, this person really cares for me. This person really sees me. The person I'm in the long-term relationship with, they don't see me anymore. Not meanwhile, recognizing that I'm constantly recreating that dynamic over and over. And this very much plays out with, with women as well. I want to be super clear that this can go very much both ways. Yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah. <laughs> that women can, um, and, and again, I want to be really clear that it's very normal to want to feel desired. Mm -hmm. It's very normal to want to feel desired. But when we are even in subtle ways, we have to catch ourselves. We have to be really conscious of this. Are we reaching out to, to male friends or coworkers or whomever, a random guy walking down the street and, and making it, making ourselves, um, presenting ourselves a particular way where we know that we will catch some male attention and it gives us that little hit of validation. It's like, oh yeah, I still got it. I'm still hot. Mm -hmm. right? Whatever that is, like, how are you managing that? How are you, how are you showing up in those dynamics? When it comes to the men in particular, though, I want to make this, this point. 
is that when a man is like a deeply integrated masculine man that can hold a lot of uh, emotional capacity that women feel very safe with and in, in a really solid way, not in a leaky sexual energy way, but when a man is in that position, those men tend to be a little bit more rare. So women are especially drawn to that. And that level of presence and groundedness has to be wielded with an enormous amount of responsibility. Yeah. Uh, my friend Traver Boehm and I talked about this on a, on a previous episode as well. So few women get to experience what that feels like that when a woman is in a present is, is in the presence of a man who has that enormous, brings that huge sense of, of presence that she may quite literally have never experienced in another male before that has to be wielded with such responsibility because she may be like, Oh my God, he loves me. Like he's, he's into me. Whereas it's just him showing up as he usually does. But because she's never encountered it, her entire nervous system feels blown wide open by it. And you and I have talked about that and, and you are very conscious of that as well because you are that guy <laughs> and, and you know how to manage it appropriately. And given some of my past history around infidelity as well, I wondered at times if I would have jealousy come up with you. And there were a couple moments that we worked through, but I had some realizations and breakthroughs around that that I've never experienced it since. Mm. That's not to say I never will, yeah. but there have been several instances where I, I was surprised that I didn't feel jealous because past versions of me would have jumped to that very quickly. And you, you keep your energy so clean in your interactions with other women that I have never yet experienced, um, feeling like there was anything to be concerned about yeah. in that area. Yeah. I'd say there's three things that I, I feel are really important, um, around maintaining, um, that clean energy. Um, you know, one is just acknowledging the energy, acknowledging mm -hmm. that, you know, in the yogic world, we call it the Kundalini energy, right? How do I, uh, how do I create a, a real connection with that and know my connection with that so that I can experience when I'm actually bringing that up and bringing that out and directing that towards somebody mm -hmm. so that I know what that is. You know, I think first of all, it's developing a relationship with that energy and knowing what it is. Um, and then there's two more very practical things that, that I think are really important when I'm in relationship. One is immediately identifying my relationship whenever I'm in, uh, uh, a conversation with someone who is single or, um, a, you know, someone who might in any way be interested. Um, it's always really important for me to identify my partner very early in that, that discussion. Um, you know, women do this all the time, but I think it's something that men don't always recognize the importance of, of dropping that, um, you know, that, oh yeah, my partner did blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is, oh, and you know, the other day, you know, ways that I can insert that into the conversation to create clarity um, and let that person know that I am in a relationship and I take that very seriously. And I think the, the third piece of that is, uh, and then we've had this discussion around um, not bringing things about my relationship that I'm mm -hmm. unsettled or unhappy with to other women um, or particularly single women. I'm lucky. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have a very strong men's group and I'm very involved in men's groups and supporting men's groups. And so I always have men and brothers that I can bring these challenges to when and if I need to, to work them out. And I do not have 
have to take those to my feminine friends, feminine relationships, that then starts to blurry, blur the, the expectations within that dynamic. If I'm coming to my female friend and saying, you know, she's really doing blah, 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 you know, what, what it's really also doing is opening the psychological door that, oh God, this guy who sees me, who gets me, who, you know, has this, you know, is really one of the rare nice guys is also kind of in a tricky place in the relationship. Maybe he's letting me know that there's an opening. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's kind of leading me into the possibility that there could be something here. Um, and the truth of the matter is, I'm also leading myself into that place when I am offloading my challenges uh, in my relationship with my um, female friends, particularly the ones who are emotionally available. And that means whether they're in relationship or not yep. in relationship, because exactly. there are plenty of people who are in relationship, but still emotionally available and still open and playing the field. Mm -hmm. And and I would still apply all those to women as well, mm -hmm. particularly the going to male friends for advice when there's issues in your relationship. That can be highly problematic and it does open the door to, and, and I understand wanting to get perspectives from a man about that to, you know, get, get a different point of view from someone of, of that sex. I get it, but it can create some potential issues that it can open the door to give an invitation that you may not want or an invitation that just opens up later on because it's sort of an ongoing dynamic that has been created. Mm. Yeah. The other, the other, there's uh, two more really big pieces on this. One of them is accepting your partner for exactly as they are right now. Yeah. Without any asterisks, without a, uh, when they do this, if they do this, then I will feel better about them. This, this dynamic will be magical. And we have to accept someone for who they are right now, because if we don't, the other person will again, feel that deeply that they're not fully accepted and they won't feel seen. They won't yeah. feel seen. You know, I, I experience this so often with clients that are in that that questionable stage of the relationship. Things have been rocky for a, a, a period of time. Mm -hmm. And they're in that place of, do I stay or do I go? Right? And inevitably, I hear in this space of, do I stay or do I go? Uh, this question of, if she will do this, if she could just do this, then I would be willing to stay. And... I think it, it's very much highlighted in those moments, but it's been there all along, right? There's always been this, I really like her, but if she could only do this or she would only be that, which ultimately, whether you're saying it or not saying it, my partner is experiencing that as I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. I'm not enough for him and I know that. And as long as I know that I'm not enough, that I'm standing on sand, there's no foundation here. Well, so as long as I'm waiting for my partner to change or become some new version, and the, the ironic part of this is that they're never going to change until I stop needing them to change. Mm. That's the crazy part about it, right? The change is actually very possible, but it is not going to be possible as long as I need it to happen. So one of the things that I say to men in, in that that stage of the relationship, if you're asking this question, should I stay or should I go? The thing that I say is what I want you to do is I want you to go out the same way that you went in. Mm. 
Because you remember in the beginning of that relationship, you believed in the possibility that this person was everything that you could possibly imagine. And you had no reason to believe that. You didn't have enough evidence to show you that they were going to be that person. But now you stacked all of the evidence against them to prove that they can't be that person. But what if, what if I really leaned into believing that they are everything that I need. And if they don't change one bit, the thing that they are right now is what I'm accepting. And if I can say that to myself, if I can lean into my relationship at the, at the end in the same way that I came in, out, I'm giving myself and my partner the opportunity to live into who we say we want to be. And of course, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to give myself a time frame on how, how long I'm willing to be in that space. But I really have to fully commit to that notion that who you are, if nothing changed, I'm okay. And I'm more than okay. I'm choosing you. Just the same way that I have to choose me, broken and malformed and all of these things, that I get to choose me in my brokenness and I get to choose you in your brokenness. And the reality is that we probably pulled together these beautiful broken pieces that are ideally suited for each other. Yeah. That we get to work through and, and heal together and we get to appreciate about each other too. It's not just about what, what we can change, but the, the acceptance is the real key there. And the last one, and this one was the one that made the biggest difference for me, was including me, including me in your life. And that felt so strongly, and I did the same for you, but I think that there's a lot of women in particular that sometimes don't always feel chosen, but it's also, this is a two-way street in terms of every human needs to feel safe. Whether you are a man, woman, anything in between, however you identify, Every human needs to feel safe. And there can be a lot of emphasis on women feeling chosen and women feeling safe. And for women, safety can rank higher in terms of needs and priorities in a relationship. But men need to feel safe too. And I have a client who started dating someone who is in the armed forces. And she has a long history of not feeling safe with the men in her life. And I said, it is no surprise to me that you went to seek someone out who literally is trained to protect, who is trained to kill people at, at whatever cost to, to keep you safe. And yet, if in, in that dynamic, if she isn't fully choosing him, he has expressed that he doesn't actually feel super safe. And he can't fully open to her if he doesn't also feel the safety that she does from him. Neither one of them can feel fully safe until they both feel fully chosen. Yeah. And I paint that because I, I, want, I want to use that example where to, to show where men also need the, the sense of safety. Absolutely. And being included as well. Yeah, you know, and when I say opening up myself, you know, there's, there's partially, you know, like opening up my family. Why is it so, why does it matter so much when you take you know, I take my partner to see my mother or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm opening up the vulnerable aspects of me, right? Nothing's more vulnerable than my family. But beyond just those, those people and places and experiences, there's all of the things that I'm hiding. There's all of the shame that I'm hiding from in my life um, that 
you know, I am terrified that if you found out this about me, you wouldn't want to be with me, mm -hmm. right? And so I can never really allow you to choose me if you don't get to see all of me. And so there's always a part of me thinking, well, when they find out who I really am, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna bolt, right? So the thing I say to, to, to men in this situation is, what's the thing you don't want your partner to know? What's the thing that you're hiding from? What's the thing that, you know, is it, is it financial? You don't want them to know that you have been struggling financially. Is it that, you know, um, your family, you know, where you came from? Is it um, the way that, that, that people have treated you or certain things that you may be uncertain about? How can I create the space? And I think that's important. I don't just blurt these things out on a first date, like, oh, by the way, I've got a... Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's creating the trust mm -hmm. within the relationship by continually being vulnerable, by being vulnerable to share this, by sharing this, and then ultimately being able to lean in and say, you know, hey, this is the thing that, that I'm struggling with. And then once you know that, then I can feel safe that you're choosing me as I am. Mm -hmm. But as long as I'm hiding aspects of myself, not letting you in, not letting you see, not letting you be part of these things, then there's always this other piece that, that I'm holding onto that doesn't let you fully choose. So how can I choose you if I'm not letting you choose me? And you know, an example that is coming to mind of when I felt super chosen was, I think it was, it was, it was the first time we had had our, our initial time together and then I went back to Canada and I came back here for a second visit. And I had been here for all of a couple hours, two or three hours, and I went out on the back porch. You, you called me out onto the back porch. And you were talking to your next door neighbor and you introduced, you, you went to introduce me and she already knew my name. She, she wanted to know when I, you know, how long I was staying, how, when had I arrived? She hadn't been expecting me until later. And we walked back inside and I was like, how does she know about me? You're like, everyone in my life knows about you. And I was flabbergasted. We had only been together like a month, a month, month and a half, month. And everyone in your life already knew about me. Your clients even knew about me. I, and we were just barely getting started. And I was, I felt so claimed hmm. in that. And that came through in all of your actions as well. You know, I had a girlfriend who was not feeling particularly chosen in her, in her relationship. And the, the guy she was seeing, I think had been very intrigued to hear about how, how our relationship was going, yours and mine. And, and he ended up, um, telling her the words, you know, I choose you. Mm -hmm. And he made a big proclamation about it because she was not feeling chosen. And she kind of, it, it meant nothing to her because there were none of the actions or energy to go with it. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works. You can't just say the words. And we talked about this in our last episode that literally every single day you tell me you choose me. Mm -hmm. But the only reason why that carries weight for me is because I see where that plays out in every other area mm. consistently across the board. Mm. And I, I believe I make you feel chosen as well. Like how do you, how do I make you feel chosen? Well, I think for me, it's, it's that, 
that piece that I was just talking about, you know, that I have revealed more to you than I think just about any person um, that I've ever been with, particularly in this period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been in very long-term relationships. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to hide over time. Um, but really early in this relationship, I was able to communicate um, my limitations, the things that I was struggling with. And every single time I revealed another piece that I was struggling with or something that I, you know, the direct response was literally feeling you coming in closer, mm. you know, feeling you um, accepting me even more when I was um, expressing the things that I was ashamed of or the things that I um, really don't want people to know, particularly in relationship. Um, and so, you know, I think for me, that that's the thing that, that does it the most um, is, um, you know, as a man, as I show up as a man in this world, I think that um, there's an expectation that I hold a lot of safety and security. I hold it down. You know, I've got two boys, you know, I, I, I hold a family, I hold, uh, um, you know, in the work that I do, I hold a lot of people's responsibilities and their emotions, their challenges, um, communities. And um, there's always this fear that, that if I fall apart, I'll be nothing. Mm. You know, if I'm not able to hold it all, um, then no one will want to be around me. Um, and I think that's been the critical piece of our relationship that um, I know that if I were to, I told you this early in our relationship that, you know, there's a part of me that had a long time ago given up on this notion of a ride or die, mm. you know, but that's what I really want in relationship. And I think so on a deep level, that's what so many men want is this notion of a ride or die. Like no matter what, we got this. Um, I remember reading Alex Ramosi's book and he was talking about um, one point where he had almost lost everything and he went to his, uh, his wife, maybe his girlfriend at the time, and she, you know, and said, hey, listen, um, you know, I, I think I've lost everything and if you want to leave me, I totally understand. And she said something to the lines of, you know, look, if, we, if, if we're going to be living under a bridge, I'm going to live under that bridge with you. And, you know, as a man, there's just something like... There's something so beautiful about that, you know, that like no matter what happens, no matter where, where I go, um, you'll be willing to go there with me. Um, that creates, um, I'm, you know, never about crying. <laughs> um, as, I, as I often do. <laughs> that's that, that's that really, that's the most romantic ideal is that, um, you know, even in my worst, um, I'll still be chosen. Um, and that is, uh, that's what it means to be chosen for me. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. You're my writer die too. Mm. Even in, even in my mess, I, I still always feel chosen by you. Even in the moments where I flat out say to you, I feel like I'm either too much or not enough right now. And you have a way of not, not just telling me that I feel chosen, but I feel it from you. Mm. Um, that, that on a, on a deep level that no, no words alone can facilitate for me. Thank you for that. 
Thank you. And this is a really big part of shifting these these dynamics with Captain Sabo and Queen Change a Dick. Mm-hmm. And it starts, I think, it, you know, if we were going to give this in a step-by-step process, it, it starts by choosing yourself. Yeah, it does. It starts by choosing myself. It starts with having compassion for myself, mm-hmm. for all the versions of myself that have come before. Um, and then choosing to be a stand for myself um, by asking, by asking to get my needs met. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest hurdle um, of change that is necessary um, to be vulnerable enough to be able to ask for what I need and to ask for what I need with the acceptance that it might not always be given, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to continue to lean in and ask. And by developing that muscle, by developing that, that skill set of continually understanding what I'm a yes for, what I'm a no for, and being willing to ask for support to get there, those are the critical elements that are that are necessary in order to build a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I can start to really lean in and develop that, then long-term relationship is really possible. Uh, and I think that the lack of those skills is where so many people do really a wonderful job at getting themselves into relationship and then find themselves in the forest, lost and in the dark, um, in the constant battle of you're the victim, I'm the villain, I'm the savior, you're the victim, I'm the villain, back and forth constantly rotating between those, those dynamics that are undermining so many relationships today. Mm-hmm. And I think that the other thing is, is that we really want to offer people hope in this, that you can absolutely shift these dynamics, whether you are already in relationship or whether you are currently single and you know want to be in relationship, you and I have shifted it. It is not to say either that you reach some pinnacle of perfection where that never comes up again. Mm-hmm. There will still be moments and it's about the awareness of being able to catch the patterns as they start happening. You're like, Ooh, I see you. I see you playing this out. And by you, I mean ourselves (laughs) playing out a particular role and recognizing what's underneath that and using those moments to ultimately create vulnerability too within ourselves and with the other person that is playing out in dynamic with it, that that's really powerful piece that can be the scariest part, but it's one of the most beautiful ways to open up the relationship and to show up with an open heart and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Because I think that you may find that it's, you're pleasantly surprised Mm -hmm. with the result. It's not to say that, uh, that's putting pressure on a dynamic to play out a certain way, but I think that that's a moment. Those are moments in time where you can be proud of the way that you showed up. Mm -hmm. Like regardless of a potential outcome, am I proud of how I showed up in this moment? I think that's one of the great things about, you know, now that we've stepped into working with, uh, working with couples together, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, having that experience of helping people to set up the dynamic for them, their own success. And it's been really beautiful to work on that with you. Um, because you know, my clients, um, get to see the female perspective, mm-hmm. your clients get to see the male perspective. Um, and we're able to, allow them to be seen in the opposing way that they they haven't and model that for 
for partners so that they can really set up the dynamics that they're looking for. And then when we bring them together, it's just, it's just so much magic. It's magic. Oh my space. gosh. Yeah. I am loving that we, that we're the work that we're getting to do with couples. It's just so special. It's a whole different level and getting to do it with you is such a true joy too. Yeah. <laughs> so for anyone who wants to dive into this more, um, you can reach out to either one of us. Uh, to work for with us individually or we are this is the first time we're talking about the fact that we, we have been quietly bringing on couples in the background and we haven't talked about it publicly yet so you can also sign up to work with both of us at the same time yeah yeah, yeah. and if you're a man out there who struggles with relationship and is really found himself in a long-term relationship or struggling to hold down long-term relationships uh, there's a lot of, of wisdom um, and learning that gets to take place in this journey. Uh, and I, I find myself so honored to be able to support men uh, in getting beyond these patterns of showing up and letting go of myself, um, doing a really great job in the beginning relationship, but not being able to hold down that long-term lasting relationship that really returns to me the quality of engagement that I want to have, the family life that I want to have, the connections that I want to have. It is so, so rewarding to get to have that experience. So reach out if you're looking for it. <laughs> and I work with men and women individually, um, but particularly women who are looking to reconnect with their sense of self and come come home to themselves regardless of relationship status there are so many women out there who are struggling and they they don't sometimes we don't know what we don't know and it can feel this sensation of like is this it is is this all i get to experience and it's not you get to create so much more for yourself and it starts from within so yeah let's do this i love it <laughs>Thank you so much for listening. If you want more, one of the most common questions I get is where do I even start doing this work to create deeper connections and better relationships? I've got a free 15 page guide for you called Where Do We Begin? This is the very foundation that you need to start building healthy relationships with others and with yourself. This is my gift to you and multiple people have referred to it as life-changing. <laughs> you can find it over at roomtogrowpodcast.com or check the show notes to go download it and have it sent straight to your inbox. Thanks so much and stay tuned for more episodes weekly.